In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This tape will be about the first of the Ten Commandments and the occult. It's being made in December of the year 2000 by Father Richard Thomas of the Society of Jesus. In the beginning, there was nothing but God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then God, in his wisdom, decided to create other beings. He made the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants and animals, people, and a spiritual world of angels. When God created the angels, he created them good. But some, through their disobedience and pride, fell from God's friendship and became his enemies. Since that time, there have existed two spiritual groups or realms, God and his good angels and that of Lucifer and the disobedient angels. These opposing groups are the realities we have to deal with. In the course of history, God decided to purify one nation for himself. Through this one nation, he chose to attack the realm of Satan and to destroy idolatry, bringing Jesus, the Savior, into the world to die on the cross and rise again from the dead. Thus, many years before the coming of Christ, God told Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into a new land. His purpose was to have this people become monotheists, that is, worshipers of only one God. This was in contrast to all the other nations of the world who were polytheistic, that is, they worshipped many gods. Through the power of God, Moses leads the Israelite people out of Egypt, out of bondage of Pharaoh, into the desert, and finally into the promised land. When they were in the desert, God gave to Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments. It is the first of the Ten Commandments to which we now turn our attention. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, we read, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve out idols for yourselves in the shape of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generation, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. This first commandment meant that God's people were to have no other gods except Yahweh the Lord. They were not to worship or have contact with any of the gods of their neighbors or the gods of their former masters in Egypt. There were hundreds of gods worshipped in those days, but God's people under Moses were to have no other god but Yahweh the Lord. God's plan to destroy polytheism has been partially successful in much of the world. One can travel to places like Canada, the United States, and Europe and not find the gross worship of many gods that once existed. However, the two spiritual realms, that of God 
and his good angels and that of Lucifer or Satan and the bad angels still exist and are still in conflict. The first commandment is still very much applicable to us today, although we obey it or disobey it in slightly different ways than in the time of Moses. The temptation then and now is to seek certain things from the realm of Lucifer, which is a, sub a forbidden source. People are tempted to seek information, power, healing, good luck, protection from the spirits of darkness. This is forbidden, forbidden then and forbidden now. How do people seek information from the powers of darkness? Some examples are by reading tea leaves, reading the palm of the hand, tarot cards, or a crystal ball. A well witch is someone who finds water by walking back and forth over the ground with a stick. In, in all these cases, people are seeking information from a forbidden source. Another temptation is to seek power from a forbidden source. For example, people use mind control so that they can have influence or control over other people. They might use some sort of witchcraft to get their lover to return or to put a hex on their rival. Or they may call in somebody to put a hex on an athlete so that he cannot com compete successfully. These are examples of seeking power from a forbidden source. People are also tempted today to seek gifts from a forbidden source. For example, a spiritual healing from a source other than God. The spiritualist or the curandero would be used in this effort. Wishing on a star, throwing rice at a wedding for good luck or a happy marriage, making a wish when blowing out the candles on a birthday cake are examples of seeking gifts from a forbidden source. Another temptation is to seek protection from a forbidden source. For example, using a rabbit's foot, knocking on wood, crossing the fingers to avoid some evil. All these actions are against the first commandment, which says, I am your God. You will have no other. You will have no contact with my enemy. You will have no business with the devil by seeking information protection, power, healing, rain, fertility, or other gifts from the devil. Now, let's look at some ways the first commandment is violated in modern times. The horoscope and the zodiac signs. The zodiac signs and the worship of the sun, stars, and moon is an ancient pagan religion, more ancient than Christianity. Deuteronomy Chapter 17, verse 2 to 5 says, If there is found among you in any of your communities which the Lord your God gives you, a man or woman who does evil in the sight of the Lord your God and transgresses his covenant by serving other gods or by worshiping the sun or moon or any of the host of the sky against my command, 
and if on being informed of it you find by careful investigation that it is true and an established fact that this abomination has been committed in Israel, you shall bring the man or woman who has done this evil deed out to your city gates and stone him to death. Deuteronomy 4 Verse 19 says, When you look up to the heavens and behold the sun or the moon or any star among the heavenly hosts, do not be led astray into adoring them and serving them. These the Lord your God has let fall to the lot of all other nations under the heaven. But you he has taken and led out of that iron foundry, Egypt, that you might be his very own people as you are today. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1 and following, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the customs of the nations, and have no fear of the signs of the heavens, though the nations fear them. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 5, it says, Josiah also put an end to the pseudo-priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the vicinity of Jerusalem, as well as those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, moon, and signs of the zodiac, and to the whole host of heaven. Consulting the signs of the zodiac was common in Old Testament times. Today, almost every newspaper has a stargazer column in it. We need to remember horoscope reading is an old pagan religion still forbidden by the first commandment. The horoscope is based on the assumption that the stars somehow have power or influence over human life. For example, one born under Aquarius would be advised that Monday would be a good day to go into business, but a bad day for a journey. This is directly opposed to the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. If God is the Father Almighty, then the signs of the zodiac have no power. We are to have no fear of them. They should have no influence on how we act because we serve the one, true, all-powerful God. We reverence and worship him. We don't fear or consult the horoscope. We ignore the signs of the zodiac because Jesus is Lord and there is no place for this ancient form of devil worship. Let us look at luck. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. If God is the Father Almighty, there's no place for luck, good or bad, because God is in control of everything. I remember once at a conference I was scheduled to give a talk on the occult. A young man approached me saying, I understand you're giving one of the workshops today. Well, good luck. It's very much a part of our vocabulary and it's a sign that part of our speech has not come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the Lord, then there's no room for good or bad luck. People go to church for a wedding to ask for the blessing of God at the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Later they come outside and throw rice on the bride and groom for a happy married life. This is superstitious to ask the blessing of God for that couple's future married life and then to throw rice on them for good luck is calling on a power other than God. Personally, I will not perform a wedding in which there's going to be any rice throwing. 
if people want rice, they have to find another minister. God honored this once in the most beautiful way. There was a couple being married in Sacred Heart Church in El Paso, Texas. I told them ahead of time that there would be no rice, and they agreed. Right after Mass, they were ambling arm in arm out of the church. Suddenly there was a snow flurry around them. It was a spring day with bright sunshine. God showered them with a beautiful snow flurry that swirled around them. It lasted only a minute, but God honored the couple because they had obeyed the first commandment. There are many symbols in our society for good and bad luck. Horseshoes are one such symbol. Horseshoes are wonderful things. They are meant to be put on a horse's hoofs to protect him against rocks and so forth. They're also good for playing a game. However, when they're tacked up for good luck, they become superstitious. It is seeking protection from something other than God. There's no power in a horseshoe, and when it's used for good luck, it's calling on the powers of darkness, and it is forbidden by the first commandment. So too a rabbit's foot. It's a very good thing when it's attached to the rabbit. However, when we cut that foot off and carry it for good luck, we're calling on a power other than God, that, and this is forbidden by the first commandment. We are worshiping the kingdom of darkness when we seek power, protection, gifts, and healing from a power other than God. Breaking a mirror is thought to bring seven years of bad luck. This is stupidity. There's no connection between breaking a mirror and anything else. If you break a mirror, you've lost your mirror. If you step on it with bare feet, you might cut yourself. Breaking a mirror does not have any influence or control over any event of life. If you break the rearview mirror in your car, you won't be able to see out, the, out of the back, and it will be dangerous to drive. The mirror will also have to be replaced, but a broken rearview mirror will not cause you any other difficulty other than impaired visibility while driving. To think that it will bring bad luck is giving credit to the powers of darkness. Also, there's no such thing as an unlucky number. Some hotels have no 13th floor. They go from floor 12 to floor 14. That is stupidity. There's nothing lucky or unlucky about the number 13. There's nothing lucky or unlucky about a black cat. There's nothing lucky or unlucky about knocking on wood. These things do not have any power in themselves, and it's against our knowledge and worship of Almighty God to think that they do. Now about fortune-telling or seeking information from the evil spirit. There are several ways of fortune-telling. Common today are reading cards, palm reading, crystal ball reading, reading tea leaves. In times past, people read the intestines of birds. These practices are equivalent to seeking information from the evil spirit. You can look at somebody's palm and determine that they do manual labor because of the calluses on their hands. This other person does not have calluses, so that person does not do hard manual labor. The lady has dis this lady ha has dishpan hands, so she must do a lot of dishes, but that's all you can tell from reading the palm. People that read cards, palms, and tea leaves often do know things that are true. This is what makes these forms of fortune-telling very attractive. 
For example, a fortune teller may tell you, tomorrow you will get a letter from Kansas City, and it will have good news in it. Tomorrow you do get a letter from Kansas City, and there is good news in it. However, the fortune teller did not get that information from the crystal ball. She got it from the evil spirit, who is her advisor. The devil gives her the information so she can tell you, and you will believe and say, wow, she knows what's going on and can tell me about the future. That is precisely the problem and the danger. She's getting her information from the devil, a forbidden source. The devil is more than willing to give us information or power if we're willing to pay the price. This is what the first commandment prohibits, our seeking information or gifts from a forbidden source. It is very dangerous because frequently the information is correct and is so precisely to draw someone into the devil's trap. Another common practice is playing the Ouija board, again asking the devil for information. Anytime we ask the devil for information, we open the door to him and he's there. It doesn't matter that we're doing it just for fun. It's very dangerous and very much forbidden. Now let's look at Silva Mind Control. It's promoted to teach you clairvoyance. Clairvoyance is forbidden. When we try to control another person's mind or free will, we're getting into the powers not of God and that are strictly forbidden. When we try to diagnose a disease by ways other than medical means, we are seeking information through a forbidden source. The New Age movement is filled with practices against the First Commandment. It is impossible in this tape to take up all the examples of sins against the First Commandment. So let us try to establish some basic, solid principles from which each person can decide for himself or herself what is legitimate and what is forbidden. There are three ways of diagnosing an Ill illness, through medical science, which the doctor practices, through revelation from the Holy Spirit of God, and through witchcraft, which is based neither on medical science nor on direct revelation from the Holy Spirit, but on information from the power of darkness. There are three major ways of healing for a sick person. One would be to pray to the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, for a cure. A second way would be go to a doctor and receive medicines or surgery or whatever else is indicated. A third way would be to use a spiritual means that does not have God as its source. This would be witchcraft and is forbidden. Just because the practice the one that's practicing uh, spiritual healing would say the Our Father or the Apostles' Creed does not necessarily make it uh, legitimate practice. They do that to deceive one. They're saying the Our Father, they're saying the, Our, the Apostles' Creed, so the healing must be from God. Maybe not. Maybe it's all a deception. There also may be a combination of these three sources.
a curandera or witch doctor may use an herb. It's a natural plant which God made that has curative powers. But the curandera may also say some incantation over this plant. It then becomes a mixture, part nature and part influence of the devil. It's all right to use a, an herb by itself, but once an incantation to the devil is used, it is opening the door to the kingdom of Satan and is forbidden. A medical doctor has two legitimate ways of healing. He can pray to God for a healing, and he can prescribe medicines. But when he gets into the occult and uses other means than legitimate medicine or praying to God Almighty, then he's violating the first commandment. God has put into nature and people ways to get information, to have power, to receive gifts, and to be protected. God also gives us spiritual sources of information, power, gifts, and protection. But when we seek power, protection, information, and gifts from the powers of darkness or anything connected with the powers of darkness, we are violating the first commandment. There are legitimate ways to seek information, for instance, by reading a book, talking to experts, or by praying to God Almighty and asking for guidance. Seeking information from God in prayer is legitimate and praiseworthy. Reading a book on how to raise children or talking to experts may be praiseworthy. Ways of seeking information if the book and the experts really know what they're talking about. If I want a gift, like a pony or a pair of roller skates or anything else, there are several legitimate ways of getting it. I can get, ask God to give me the pony or a pair of roller skates or anything, or I can go to work and earn some money to buy whatever I want. But if I were to blow out the candles on a birthday cake and make a wish to obtain that favor or gift, then I'm calling on a power that is not God and not nature. Unfortunately, we teach our children to do this. We say, honey, today's your sixth birthday. You make a wish and try to blow out all the candles on the cake in one breath. If you do, your wish will come true. When we do this, we're teaching the child superstition or idolatry, calling on a power that is not God. I can seek protection in a legitimate or a forbidden way. If I want to be protected from colds, I can eat a lemon every day and use the vitamin C in it to build up my strength against colds. This is a natural way of having protection. But if I were to wear a leather cord around my neck, believing that the cord has power, I would be calling on a source other than God or nature. Knowing these principles, it's easy to decide a lot of cases for ourselves. How would you decide in the following case? The score of the basketball game is 50-50. There are six seconds to play. The home team has two free shots. When the player goes to the free throw line to make the two free baskets, some of the supporters of the team cross their fingers. Is this right or wrong? Apply the basic principles. Crossing the fingers has nothing to do with making those two free throws. 
if you want to make two points in basketball, you, could, you either need to have a good player who can shoot or pray for a miracle. Crossing the fingers won't do any good. It is the cultic act calling on a power that's not God to bring a gift, two points, that can only legitimately come from a skilled player or a miracle. Whenever we cross our fingers for good luck, it's against the first commandment. It is a venture into the spiritual world outside the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now about transcendental meditation. This is very dangerous. As one progresses in transcendental meditation, he's given a special word, mantra, by his teacher. This word will be repeated by the pupil for the rest of his life as he begins his meditation. The teacher prays to some master to find out what the special word for his pupil is. Of course, that is contact with a forbidden source. And it is very dangerous and forbidden. In all of this, we have to remember there are two parallel spiritual worlds or spiritual kingdoms. The kingdom of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his good angels in submission to him, and the kingdom of Lucifer or Satan, and the rebellious bad angels in submission to him. Whenever we venture into the spiritual world, we must be certain that we are in the spiritual world which is dominated by Jesus Christ and where he is acknowledged as Lord and Master. There are many abuses of the first commandment that are popular in Mexico. Let's take the use of the egg, the huevo. An egg is a gift from God for our nourishment. When it's used in Olympia or for cleansing, it's part of witchcraft and is forbidden. Plants are created by God and are good, but through the wickedness or ignorance of man they can be used in the kingdom of Satan to further his evil purposes. The Romero and the Rula are plants used in Mexico for the Olympia. The Olympia is supposed to take away evil influence when a person receives the bathing or bath. It would be very dangerous to bring into our house something that is connected with witchcraft or idolatry or is in some way forbidden by the first commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 5 we have a good description of what we should do with those objects that have been used in witchcraft. But this is how you must deal with them. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, chop down their sacred poles and destroy their idols by fire. For you are a people sacred to the Lord your God. He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be a people peculiarly his own. Whatever we have in our house that has any connection with idolatry, superstition, or witchcraft should be smashed, burned, or destroyed. If we have zodiac signs, they have to be burned. If they are pins or rings, they have to be melted down. It doesn't matter what the cost may be. If we have a Buddha, it's got to be smashed. The dragons have to be smashed. Don't throw them out in the garbage where somebody else in his ignorance can take it home and bring a curse on his house. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25, we read, The images of their gods you shall destroy by fire. Do not cover the silver or gold on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Often when I tell people that they have to get rid of their zodiac ring, they say, Oh, I paid $35 for it. It's made out of gold. It's very clear what you should do with it. Do not covet the silver or gold on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring any abominable thing into your house, lest you be doomed with it. Loathe and abhor it utterly as a thing that is doomed. Lots of people have abominable things in their houses, and as a result, their houses are under a curse. They wouldn't think of bringing a rattlesnake into their house and turning it loose, but they will bring in something that's been used in witchcraft. Frankly, I'd rather be in a house that has a rattlesnake in it than one with a Buddha, because a rattlesnake is made by God and under the lordship of Jesus, but the Buddha is a demonic symbol used in devil worship. It brings a curse wherever it is. The rattlesnake may go to sleep and you can escape, but the devil behind the Buddha does not sleep. We should not have anything like that in our house. We have to be careful that whatever we have in our house has never been used in witchcraft or is not a symbol or a pagan god. For instance, sometimes our loved ones in the military service send statues from the Far East those statues could be of pagan gods and are bringing a curse on your house because it is an idol. It doesn't matter who gave it to you. If it's bringing a curse on your house, get rid of it. It doesn't matter if it's made of gold. Smash it, melt it down, get rid of it because it's from the kingdom of Satan. This is why the church has the blessing before meals. If anything we're serving at table, has come under the power of Satan through witchcraft or superstition or false prayer, the blessing is said over the food and the curse is taken away. It is important to repeat these facts. There are two parallel spiritual kingdoms side by side. We are forbidden to have contact with the kingdom of Satan and the evil spirits or to seek from them gifts power, information, protection, or anything else. Whenever we enter the spiritual world at all, we have to be very careful that we are entering the spiritual world in which Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we have to be careful that we're not in the spiritual kingdom of which Lucifer is in charge. The two spiritual worlds have parallel spiritual gifts. There's a spiritual gift from God Almighty to heal and also a spiritual gift from the devil to heal. So then spiritualists truly heal, but they heal by the power of darkness. God can heal and does heal, but not every spiritual healing is a healing from God. And those spiritual healings not from God are forbidden. We have to be very careful that the spiritual healing we seek and pray for is from God Almighty and not from the enemy. The devil can cause sickness, and he's glad to cure sickness, if by so doing he can draw people into worshiping him.
This is what the spiritualists do. By curing through the power of the devil, they draw ignorant people into their trap. There are gifts of tongues that come from God and gifts of tongues that come from the devil. We have to be sure the gift of tongues we are seeking and receive comes from God. And so with prophecy, there are words of knowledge or prophecy that is the gift from God, and there is prophecy or words of knowledge that come from the devil. The fortune teller, the palm reader, use the spiritual gift of words of knowledge or prophecy from the devil, and this is forbidden. The greatest danger for a prayer group is to have somebody in a position of leadership who has a background in the occult and has never been cleansed and delivered from this. A leader who has been into occult practices has opened himself up to the influence of the evil spirits, and they are still operative in his life until and unless he gets thoroughly cleaned up. Nothing could be more dangerous or destructive than to have such a person in a position of leadership. Once the person has been thoroughly cleansed from this influence, he could then safely be in a position of leadership, but not before. I think it would be very dangerous to pray with someone for the baptism of the Holy Spirit without questioning their past life very closely to see what contact they've had with the enemy. Let's take, for example, someone who's been to a spiritualist or delved in witchcraft or played with a Ouija board. It could be very dangerous for a person to go to a meeting where there's a general call to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If a person is prayed for indiscriminately, he may have a spiritual experience. He may receive the gift of tongues, have visions, have a wonderful feeling. The baptism received, however, may not be a baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. The religious experiences he has could very well be from the devil. The devil is the father of lies and masters of deceit, and he comes as an angel of light disguised. The devil can transform himself into an angel of light, and is glad to do so whenever it serves his purposes. So before we pray for people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we should be very careful they are, they are cleansed from all contact with the occult. Otherwise, what this person interprets as a legitimate experience from the Holy Spirit might be a deceptive religious experience from the evil spirit. Several texts in Deuteronomy throw light on this whole subject matter. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, God says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The word jealous is an ugly word. If we say someone is jealous, it's not a compliment. Yet God uses this ugly, uncomplimentary word about himself. Why does he do this? He does it to emphasize the seriousness of the first commandment. It is the most serious of all the commandments, and the sins against it are the most serious and the most dangerous. In this commandment, God speaks of himself as a jealous God. He calls himself a jealous God because when we break this commandment, we are opening the door and kissing the devil. We are supposed to love God and be married to God. When we open the door to witchcraft, idolatry, superstition, 
or any of the things we've talked about, we're opening the door and kissing God's number one enemy, the devil. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 5, we learned how to deal with the objects that are part of idolatry or superstition. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, chop down their sacred poles, and destroy them by fire. Verse 12 goes on to say, As your reward for heeding these decrees and observing them carefully, the Lord your God will keep with you the merciful covenant which he promised on earth on oath to your fathers. He will love and bless and multiply you. There are people sick today whose cure depends on their being sorry for their sins against the first commandment. They need to repent, turn back to God, ask pardon, and be cleansed of all their sins against the first commandment. In the time of Moses and in the time of Jesus, the chosen people of God were forbidden to make any pictures, any drawings, any images of creatures in heaven, on the earth, or in the water. The only exception were for some things that were used in the temple, like cherubim, the oxes, the oxen that held up the stand holding the water for ablutions, uh, pomegranates, palms, and so forth. In general, the law was very strict about this because the other nations had hundreds of different gods, statues, images, and so forth. And these things have been a problem for the chosen people for centuries. For this reason, we have no pictures of Jesus, no drawing of Jesus that comes from his time. After the resurrection of Jesus, the early Christians began to make drawings of Jesus in the catacombs. The later pictures of Jesus, his mother, and the saints were made. The church allowed this with the understanding that they were not idols. These were images to remind the faithful about Jesus or his mother, St. Joseph, or whomever. However, a picture or statue can be idolatrous depending on the attitude or frame of mind of the person toward the picture or statue. The statue is all right, but the attitude in the heart of the person may be wrong. It may be an idol for this person and not for another person. It sometimes happens that people believe that the statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary in one church has more power than the statue in another church. This is obviously an idolatrous attitude because the statue has no power at all. It is simply a piece of wood, plaster of Paris, or marble. If the person looks upon these statues as anything more than a piece of marble or wood that reminds them of Jesus or the Blessed Virgin, then that person has an idolatrous attitude. A lot of uneducated Catholics have idolatrous attitudes towards otherwise good statues and good pictures. Some Catholics have the same attitude towards a religious statue as they would towards a picture of their loved ones in their wallets. It's a reminder of their loved ones and nothing more, and that is fine. But there are other Catholics, unfortunately, who have an idolatrous attitude toward religious statues. This is deplorable and has to be corrected.
Now we come to a freeing experience. Our God is a loving God and a good God, and Jesus came to free us from sin and break the power of Satan in our lives. To any person who has sinned knowingly or unknowingly against the first commandment in any way, Jesus is going to offer the chance to repent of those sins, to be forgiven, cleansed, and freed. This cleansing and freeing is very important. We're going to go through two very simple and beautiful steps. The first step is to ask God to forgive us our sins against the first commandment and to mention to him in our heart each instance we can think of where we violated it, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Just mention everything you did or was done to you, knowingly or unknowingly, whether you believed in it or not. Examples would include a palm reader, playing with a Ouija board, reading the horoscope, crossing your fingers, going to the fortune teller, going to the curandero, using things for good luck and bad luck and so forth. Take a few moments now and confess to God every offense against the first commandment that you have committed. Idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and so forth. Everything you can think of. Stop the tape here and do that now. Now that you have confessed all these things to God, let us pray out loud. Repeat after me. God, I confess all these sins against the first commandment, the sins of superstition, witchcraft, idolatry. I ask pardon for them, and I ask you to wash me clean in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I turn from all these sins and ask your forgiveness. Jesus, I take you as my Savior, my only Lord. I ask you, Jesus, to wash me clean in your precious blood. Wash my mind, wash my heart, wash my soul, wash my body. I love you, Jesus. I repent and I'm sorry for having offended you. I also want to confess all the sins against the first commandment that my parents, my grandparents, and my other ancestors committed. I turn from all these sins and ask your forgiveness for them. Take them away, Lord Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. You are my Savior. Now we go to the next beautiful step. As soon as we violated the first commandment, we open the door and let Satan in. If we played the Ouija board at a party, even in fun, or committed any other sin against the first commandment, at that moment we opened ourselves to the influence of Satan. And he came in, and he will stay until he's thrown out. This is what we propose to do now, throw him out. Scripture says that this sin is punished down to the third and fourth generation. 
So if my grandfather dealt in the occult and opened the door to Satan, then he passes that influence down to his children and grandchildren. God does not seek to punish the children and grandchildren, but the parents and grandparents opened the door to Satan, and he walked in and stayed in the lives of the children and will stay there until he's kicked out. We ask forgiveness for all sins and our ancestors' sins against the first commandment in the above prayer. Now we will command all evil spirits of the occult to go away in the name of Jesus. Now we, remember, we must remember this, that our parents and ancestors passed down the good and the bad. For instance, if a person's mother is a heroin addict, the child will be born a heroin addict, although the child is innocent. So if the parents or grandparents open the family to occult influence, then that is passed down too. The good and the bad is passed down. That's how we are, these sins are punished to the third and fourth generation. Now we're going to kick the devil out. We're going to tell all the evil spirits to go away in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Repeat after me. All occult spirits, I call you to attention. I bind and break your power by the power of Jesus Christ, who was crucified, died, and rose. I command you now, all occult spirits, to go away in the name of Jesus Christ. All occult spirits, go away from me forever. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. I close the door on all occult spirits forever. I open myself completely to the Holy Spirit. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I take you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Praise be the Lord Jesus Christ, now and forever.